Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. Nearly a third of children in Baltimore City are struggling to cope with two or more traumatic experiences in their lives. Now, the city's changing its approach to trauma, hoping a new strategy could mean a brighter future for Baltimore. Rachel Broy is the Director of Trauma Training Services and Technical Assistance at the Baltimore City Department of Health. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your position. What do you do at the Department of Health? It sounds like a very all-encompassing position. Yeah, well, you know, I do a few things. So first, I lead Baltimore City Health Department in trauma training services for agencies throughout the city. Those could be actual Baltimore City agencies. They could also be some partners, um, such as healthcare agencies, schools, whoever wants a training in Baltimore City, they will be able to get a training. We've been successful with Baltimore Police Department's chaplaincy program. Um, It's all over, you know, for spreading the word about trauma training. The other thing that I do is I oversee a couple of grants, which are specifically working with youth and addressing violence and also some opioid grants in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a bit of, you know, a stretch for some of the work. Sure. When you talk about trauma training, what does that mean when you're going into an organization like the Baltimore City Police Department or the library? What does that training entail? Yeah, so I think one of the first things that we want to do for our trauma training is just lay down the foundation that trauma is something that affects everyone. You know, it doesn't have to be something that is life-threatening or life-changing to upend your perspective. And we also want people to know that you're likely going to come across someone with a trauma history. You might not know what that trauma history is, but know that their behavior, the way that they're reacting to certain things is based on something. And we want people to understand and respect that and then work to help address it in themselves and in others. Are there equal positions like this in other city health departments or is this sort of a rare thing that Baltimore City is doing? So there are other positions similar to this in not necessarily city health departments, but in other city agencies. We're one of the few that have someone dedicated to trauma training in the health department, um, recognizing that trauma is a threat to public health. I do have a few counterparts. You know, there are some Midwest cities that are doing this. Um, Camden, New Jersey was a really good blueprint for some early trauma work and having someone who was dedicated to the trauma-informed approach, as well as having multidisciplinary agencies working on this. So what makes us unique is that, you know, we do have someone who is dedicated in the health department, making that, drawing that line between health and trauma. What kind of impacts do communities that have experienced a higher level of trauma, what are the impacts that are then seen in a city like Baltimore? Yeah, You know, every time I speak about Baltimore and our trauma history, I have to remind people of our history. You know, Baltimore is still highly segregated. We are one of the first cities to have segregation laws on the books. You know, 
dating back to 1913. And that has had lasting impact. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about trauma and what it looks like in Baltimore City, it looks a lot like hopelessness. It looks like helplessness. It looks like distrust of institutions and agencies. It also looks like miscommunication and confusion. It looks like blame and it looks like consequencing. And hopefully having these trainings on a larger scale will help quell that. You know, many things that end in violence might be able to stop before they get to that violent incident if communication is open, if people understand a little bit about human behavior, if they have and hold respect for someone's trauma experience. So here in Baltimore, you know, with our trauma trainings and our full-on approach to recognizing trauma, it's understanding that we have this history and it's trying to move through it. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I think it's interesting and you touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, You know, someone like me, I would say, you know, I'm not someone who has experienced trauma because I haven't had a loved one really close to me die, but trauma is bigger than that. Can you sort of define for people what are traumatic experiences and what are those things that could have that long-lasting impact on a child or on an adult? Yeah, you know, I think that some trauma trainings break down trauma into little t trauma and big t trauma. Mm-hmm. I try not to do that. But, you know, if we're talking about a trauma experience for someone, it could be going outside and seeing a flat tire. You know, that's something that will definitely have an impact on the rest of your day. It could have a a mood impact. Um, For bigger traumas, you know, starting in childhood, one of the things that we teach about is adverse childhood experiences and how those follow the child from childhood through adolescence into adulthood. That's the life cycle of a person. And that trauma could look like neglect, coming home and not having enough food to eat, having clothes that are ill-prepared for the weather. You know, we often see it in Baltimore where, in other major cities, where children are walking to school and they might have a spring jacket on and it's 30 below, right? Mm -hmm. Those are things that are going to impact a person as they grow. You know, and in Baltimore, we have high, high numbers. We are above the national average for children who have experienced two or more ACEs. And and that's something that we all need to get on board with and say, enough is enough. How do we begin the conversation and take action into reversing this? So the impact on a person, you know, if you're a child who has neglect and that's something that follows you throughout your history, you're not going to have necessarily those trusted relationships with other adults that can lead to healing because the person who was charged with taking care of you, the person who was responsible for loving you and making sure that your needs were met, your basic needs were met, was either unable or unwilling to do that. Mm -hmm. So then what happens when you grow up and you become an adult and you're supposed to have these trusted relationships? You're you're supposed, and I'm using air quotes for suppose, (laughs) you're supposed to have loving, honest relationships How do you then learn to have honest, trusting relationships if the foundation wasn't laid in childhood? And you talk about um, that ACEs test, adverse childhood experiences, and how much Baltimore ranks sort of above other cities and Mm -hmm. how much trauma children have experienced 
when that goes kind of untreated, what does that look like in a city when there isn't someone like you doing these trainings and this understanding? I mean, what does that manifest into? Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, I want to be really clear because it doesn't take a person like me. It doesn't take necessarily a dedicated trauma-informed trainer to do this work, right? It takes someone who is willing to learn a little bit more about trauma's impact, learn what trauma is, and then how they can start moving in a trauma-informed approach and spreading the word. Mm -hmm. So for our city and for other urban cities, what we see it as children who have been diagnosed with ADHD, children who have been diagnosed with um, defiance disorder, oppositional defiance disorder. We see it in as diagnosis as, you know, myriad diagnoses. However, when you take a step back and you look at the trauma history of this child and you go back to, is there a responsible adult? Is there a trusted adult? Are they being neglected? You know, are their needs met? When you take a look at that and you see that, okay, this child may be acting out because they don't know how to self-regulate. They don't know how to do behavior modifications because that hasn't been laid out for them, right? So in Baltimore, and again, cities like ours, we see it in suspension rates. We see it in expulsion rates. We also see it in conflicts, physical conflicts between youth and adolescents, where if there had been a stopgap, some type of conflict resolution, some type of healing Uh, restorative practices in place, then that stopgap, any one of those, could have ended the violence before it got there, Mm -hmm. or at least have been a measure of mitigation, right? So that's what we see. We see it also in hopelessness from youth all the way through the cycle of life. Sure. This is work that some people run away from, right? It's a hard thing to deal with, especially childhood trauma day in and day out. So what is it about you that drew you to this work and how is it personally doing this work here in Baltimore City? Baltimore's home. I am a native Baltimorean and the work had to be done. I kind of think of some of my work is as if not me, then who? And also I love it. I am passionate about it. I'm good at it. Um, And knowing that something had to shift, knowing that if communication were an option, understanding were an option, then there is going to be a shift in the way people relate to each other. Um, I can't say that it's not hard work, you know, and I think anyone who is in a helping profession, we all have our knocks. You know, we look at our successes and we kind of ride those successes. We're like, yes, This one day was great, Mm -hmm. knowing that the next day may knock us on our butts. And the same thing with with trauma-informed approach, you know, training in certain areas about how to recognize trauma, how to ask the question of what happened to you, not what's wrong with you, trying to look inward and start to do the work on your own trauma, again, is daunting. And when you have an audience that is like receptive, and then the next day you see something that has occurred in that neighborhood and folks have the question, well, geez, we just had this training. It didn't stick. 
That's where that technical assistance comes in. That's when we continue to have the conversations to talk about, okay, what can we do? How can we spread the word? How can we get other people on board? If you as a community member believe in this, then let's go ahead and start the work, continue the work so that we can spread this information and get more people on board and learn how to not have these hard knocks at every turn. Does your child need homework help? Get access to online tutors with your Pratt Library card. No card? No problem. The Pratt eCard is available online. Go back to school with the Pratt. Details at prattlibrary.org. Is there, I know it's sensitive work, is there like a moment or like a moment of success that you can share with us that you like really saw the light, saw the understanding and someone you were working with that, you know, motivates you to have those great days so that you can get through the harder days? Definitely. Um, One of my success stories, and I'm going to call this a personal success story, right? (laughs) I mean, it it definitely has to do with, you know, the training, but... um, I have been training a particular violence prevention agency in one of their offices. Uh, They're community-based. And the first training was difficult. The first training years ago was difficult because the people who were being trained were skeptical, understandably, right? You know, they are in some of the toughest work in the city. They are on the front lines to try to stop violence from occurring. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of pushback on that first training. It was a two-hour training. That first one, I got a lot of pushback. And then at the end of the training, one of the people who gave me the most (laughs) stuff (laughs) pulled me to the side and thanked me for being there and then providing this education that he hadn't had and that he had things that he had learned and he didn't know. For instance, adverse childhood experiences and then expanded adverse childhood experiences, which specifically talks about black and brown communities and how the impact of not just neglect and abuse, but also poverty Mm -hmm. has long lasting impacts on these kids who then become adults. So fast forward, a couple of years later, they had asked me to come back. Some of the staff had changed, but that same person who had challenged me on the first one was there. And he <laughs> was the main cheerleader. So when the new staff came in and there was another person who was, you know, not with it, rolling his eyes, asking me how this was going to help. And this all sounded like fluff. He was the person who said, no, you've got to listen. There's a reason that these things are happening. There's a reason we're unable to reach some of these kids. And there's a reason that some of these kids and adults are acting the way that they are acting. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Megan, I got a little soft and I was like, oh, that brought a tear to my eye because you get it, right? You understand what the trauma-informed approach is meant to do and how once we get it right in Baltimore, it is going to be phenomenal. And we're, we're almost there. You know, we are, we're getting it together. And I have hope for my city. I love that. Yeah, it's hard work and it's long-term work. So this is not something, I've talked to the Councilman Z Cohen about it. This isn't something that you're going to flip a switch 
and we will be a healing city, right? This is really long-term work. So how is it those moments that keep you motivated knowing that like, we might not see a difference tomorrow, but we will see a difference 10 years from now. I mean, how do you stay motivated knowing that this is a marathon, not a sprint? Yeah. Well, I've been doing this for, oh gosh, um, since 2016. So I am fully aware that this is the long haul. We are in this for, for a while, right? Mm-hmm. The motivation comes because I know what's on the other end of it. I know what a healed city looks like in my mind's eye. I may not live there right now, but I know that we can get there. And the reason I say that is because I'm not in this work by myself. Councilmember Cohen isn't in this work by himself. Mm-hmm. We have other organizations. We have Ceasefire. We have you know, so many organizations that are doing this work to get to an understanding, to stop the violence, to increase communication, to get us to a healed city. It's abnormal, you know, for a city like ours that is as vibrant as ours to be impacted so greatly by negativity. Mm -hmm. So I have to believe that we are going to get there. We have the right people doing the right work and every day it increases. One of the things that gives me the most hope is working with youth. So we have this campaign um, called Race VIP, Race VIP. And basically what we're doing in that campaign is talking about racism, healing, and how we can get to the healing component through education, trauma-informed approach, recognizing racism also as a public health concern. But the thing, the good thing about this is that it's led by youth. The youth are having these conversations, right? They are going to then model that behavior amongst themselves, take it home, have these tough conversations, and that's the way it's spread. Mm -hmm. The other thing that gives me hope really quickly, Megan, is that when I go into schools, I'm not just training teachers, administrators, those adults doing the work, mm-hmm. but in some instances, we're able to do trainings with the youth and with their parents so that everyone is using the same language, speaking the same narrative. Mm-hmm. So they are able to say what foundations of trauma are. They are able to say, I recognize trauma in you. I'm going to do my best not to re-traumatize you. Those are important conversations. And the fact that we're, we're starting them, we're moving through them is really big. I think it's so important when you talk about having those conversations with kids, because I think like I've been in Baltimore for a decade now. I'm not from Baltimore. Um, I was a TV journalist before. So I, you know, traveled all over the city in all different neighborhoods and you would see people who you could feel that hopelessness because Mm -hmm. poverty is so cyclical, right? Like you're in something, it's hard to see how you could get out of something, And it feels like the messaging you're spreading or or the feeling you're spreading is showing people that there is a way out and there is a reason behind what has happened to them and where their lives are now. And it starts so much with those young people being able to show them there is a way forward and here it is. Yes. And I also want to be really clear that it's not just up to those who are traumatized Mm -hmm. um, to do the work. It's also up to those institutions, agencies, systemic, you know, 
components to make the change. Mm-hmm. So these are the institutions you're really going into and training, you know, Baltimore City Police, the library, people that are really dealing with the public. So what is sort of the overall goal behind that training? I'm talking about like, you know, as you approach the public, like the police, librarians, um, you know, DPW workers all across the board would have like a different mindset in dealing with the public or come from a different place of education about trauma? Like what is the overall goal when you're training these institutions in your hope to change the city? So for the institutions, the goal is that they recognize that some of the policies, systems, Mm -hmm. practices that are in place may be re-traumatizing an individual. Mm -hmm. When we look at certain organizations or agencies that consequence individuals for missing an appointment or being late to an appointment instead of asking what can we as an agency do to make it easier to get to this appointment. Mm -hmm. That's traumatizing. If a parent is catching three buses to get to one of a handful of social services branches in the city and they miss the appointment or are late to the appointment. And because they're late to the appointment, they can no longer, you know, get their food stamps or whatever it is until the next month or two. Mm-hmm. When we and, and I'm just using that as a broad example, sure. right? When we step back and we take a look at how these things can shift and change mm-hmm. from frontline staff, if you're going into a medical setting, mm-hmm. And it's sensitive information. Making sure that that frontline staff is trained and knowledgeable on how to speak to someone who is dealing with a sensitive subject um, or sensitive diagnosis, not demanding that they provide all of this information in an open setting. Those are shifts, right? For libraries, you know, and, and libraries have done an excellent job of not consequencing kids who might come in to the library during school hours. Why are they there? Why is the library a safer place than their school building or their neighborhood, Mm -hmm. right? How many kids are coming directly to the library after school and staying until the library closes? There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. For the police department, you know, and they're doing an excellent job as well, knowing that not every interaction has to end in arrest, right? Having the ability to have someone on staff who can communicate, can recognize that that this person might be in distress or recognize that this person has a trauma history and they need resources outside of what BPD can, can provide. Those are huge. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Get your high school diploma on your own time. Career Online High School is a free program that allows adults ages 19 and older to earn your diploma online. You can even transfer credits. Find out more details at prattlibrary.org. It's so interesting to me. It's almost like on your initial approach, you're taking a beat and saying, okay, how could the history of this person led to this moment and what could they need? And I think it's so so interesting with... um, 
even I, I read recently that 911 calls are coming in. They're deciding now whether they go to the police or whether they go yes. to a trauma-informed team because so many are coming in and what they really need is maybe a social worker or maybe health help. And just that one step in and of itself seems like such a huge step forward. Yeah, and it won't overburden our 911 system or our police department. And it'll also get that person who is in that crisis the help they need, hopefully, right? And that's the goal, to recognize that trauma exists and to expand our ability to serve people who are not criminals, not violent, but are in pain. They're, they're hurt. So how can we help? You mentioned Camden, New Jersey as being one city that we're really looking at and sort of modeling after. What are some of the things they've been able to do there and the successes that they've had there with trauma-informed training? Yeah, so Camden is one of the early cities that um, recognized Camden and I'm going to also say Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, recognized that trauma was rooted in, or that violence was rooted in trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that they had done early on was taken a multi-agency, multidisciplinary approach. So it wasn't just up to one agency to do all the work. Mm -hmm. So they brought on board you know, their community-based organizations. They brought on board uh, public-private partnerships, all to figure out how can we start to reduce trauma or reduce violence in the city through a trauma-informed lens. Mm -hmm. You know, like Baltimore, Camden, New Jersey, used the SAMHSA uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health uh, Services Administration Mm -hmm. curriculum, early curriculum for a trauma-informed approach. And then they tailored it, just like Baltimore, to to meet the needs of their citizenry. So I think that that early collaborative coalition type of response is what made Camden unique. And that's one of the things that we we kind of followed early on to, you know, again, going back, you know, a few years um, to figure out how can we start the discussion and how can we start trainings on a larger scale so that Every agency in the city or, you know, those interested agencies know what we're doing, right? And they are able to make use of the readings that we're doing, the the work that we're doing, the trainings that we're doing. And then we got a huge upswing with with Council Member Cohen's legislation Mm -hmm. and having it really in law, you know, that agencies are going to have this training, which is, you know, which totally makes Baltimore unique. Sure. You know, we talk about all the agencies getting the training, but how important is it that there's buy-in at all of those agencies for this training? Because people can come and go to a training course, but if they don't buy into it, it doesn't necessarily make the impact you want. So how important is it to have that buy-in from all of the agency heads and the agencies? Yeah, so it is important that there is an understanding across the agencies with the, the agency heads and everyone to understand mm-hmm. the benefit of the training. Our goal is to not just talk to the agency heads, right? Our goal is to, when we are scheduling trainings, when we're talking about how to build out these trainings, it's going to be not just with leadership, but also your frontline staff, because they're going to be the experts. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the experts on the interaction with the public and also how the staff is feeling. You know, if morale is low, if people 
hate walking through the door every time they come into work. Mm-hmm. And now you want them to be trauma-informed? Sure. Let's take a step back. So having that, that recognition is huge. And I don't think that we expect after the first training, every agency is going to be like, yes, we get it now. We're trauma-informed. We can go forth and do good. I don't, we don't expect that. No. We expect it to be, okay, here's training number one. And then there's going to be a progression. Now you're going to learn about, you know, the brain science that goes into it. Now you're going to learn a little bit more about adverse childhood experiences and grief and loss and all of those things put together. You're going to have a complete picture of what a trauma informed approach and all the modalities of healing are going to be. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, there is going to be a takeaway of understanding how important practicing a trauma-informed approach is for your agency, for your, you know, those who are uh, forward-facing with the public, and also internally. You know, when when you have a trauma-informed approach and you believe in it, and it takes practice, all of this takes practice, mm-hmm. there is a shift in the way that you speak. There's a shift in the way that you think. And, you know, I, I've recognized that. I am living proof of that. And that's what we want to get to. I think it's important to remember too, um, for like people listening out there, we're talking about like the external way agencies interact with the public, but the people who make up our agencies are also the people of Baltimore City who are also facing all of the same challenges that trauma has presented. So it's sort of an internal and an external training. Definitely. You know, um, one of the things that I remind people of in the training is that although we speak a lot about organizations and agencies and institutions, Everything that you're learning can be used within your own household. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at your own ACEs, that could be an eye opener. Mm-hmm. And it can also explain some of the behavior, you know, that you may have demonstrated or exhibited. So, yes, it applies to all gambits, you know, not just specifically with agencies when we do a trauma informed approach. If there are people out there, uh, members of the public, not part of an agency, who are saying, this is really interesting, I want to learn more about it, how can they get more information about this training or maybe attend a training session? That is perfect. So I would direct them to the Baltimore City Health Department website. And from there, they are going to go to Youth Health and Wellness. And there is a trauma training component there. They can click that on that. Or... I welcome emails and people can email direct uh, me directly at Rachel, R-A-G-U-E-L dot Broy at BaltimoreCity.gov. My last question for you, um, because you mentioned it and I think it's very inspiring, is you said in your mind's eye, you can see Baltimore as a healed city, as a healing city. What Mm -hmm. does Baltimore look like to you as a healed city? Oh my, Megan, that's a good question. Um, To me, Baltimore looks like people being able to afford their homes. It looks like no food deserts. It looks like a great reduction on suspensions and expulsions for youth and not just because they're not in school. It looks like communication, reduction of violence and shootings, It looks like squeegee boys having an enterprise, right? (laughs) Where they're not on the street corner, but they actually have a place to wash cars or learn 
how to run a business. Um, it looks like hope. You know, I, I love this city. I am proud of this city. And I know the potential that Baltimore has. Rachel Bright, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for the work that you're thank doing. Thank you. Oh, this was great. Thank you, Megan. Get connected. The Pratt Library checks out hotspots and tablets just like books. Get free internet access inside your home. Find out how at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.